Welcome to Avatar with Academics. My name is Sam Mulberry, and I have never watched Avatar The Last Airbender. And I'm Annie Berglund, and I have watched it before. Annie, we have reached a place I didn't know we were ever going to get to. We have reached season two. Episode one. Yeah. So book one, Earth, chapter one, The Avatar State. Uh, this is going to be really exciting to get into. And this there's other reasons to be excited in this episode because... Um, we're going to do something that we hope to do for a lot of these season two episodes. Mm-hmm. We've been hinting is, at it for yeah, a while. Which is we're going to have our first guest on the show. So we're going to go through the episode, do our normal Avatar with Academics. Uh, I was going to say write up of the episode, but we're not writing anything. <laughs> we're talking, um, talking through the episode. And then after that, we're going to bring on uh, somebody who now I've been struggling with this because I want to say a fan of the show and I don't mean a fan of our show <laughs> I don't know that he's ever listened to our show a fan of Avatar a fan of Avatar um, so yeah we, we have a list of people who have reached out to us or who have commented on really you know loving Avatar The Last Airbender so we're going to start bringing people on and talk with them about their experiences so kind of getting the full age range mm-hmm. the, the full age range I can promise you is people in their early teens so our guest today is i think 12 maybe he turned 13 um all the way to people older than me so people in their mid 40s um and we'll i'm gonna my goal is to get somebody in their 50s 60s and 70s but i don't know that i can actually pull that off if you're out there listening and that's you that's right. Email us. You are part of a target demo for us. <laughs> so, uh, so that will be uh, at the end of the episode. Mm, and how many? How many do we have lined up at this point? Um, I have probably six or seven people who I have talked with about mm. it. So, and there's 20 episodes in a season, so yeah, seems like there's have, a lot of opportunity out that's there. That's right. That's right. There are seats open for you. Uh, <laughs> And we can do these over Zoom, which, which a lot of them will be. So we can, no matter where you are, we can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, also, if you wanted to come in to quote unquote studio, we can pull that off as well. Would be excellent. <laughs> That's right. All right, let's dump. Let, let's jump right into the uh, into the episode from here. Um, so just to kind of remind ourselves, right? We last time we saw our friends um, there, we were at the Siege of the North Part Two. Mm-hmm. And uh, Aang in the Avatar state with the water spirit destroys the Fire Nation army. Zuko mm-hmm. and Iroh barely escape. We see the reveal of Zuko's sister, mm-hmm. uh, Ozai's daughter. Um, and we get the sense that the, the Aang gang is going to be heading off somewhere from here, right? We right. don't know where yet. We know that there are some... Um, Water Nation folks from the north who are going to be heading south. I feel like I just recapped the previously on Avatar, but I think that's important right now because one of the things we will notice is this does have a time jump. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not super long, but this the, this is not happening immediately after the Siege of the North. There's a little bit of time that passes here. Right. All right. So the episode opens on what appears to be a dream sequence. You can tell from the visual indicators. It's kind of gauzy and blurry around the edges mm-hmm. that... And even the way the coloring is, that this is a dream sequence. And we see Aang running through, uh, I think it's an air temple. Looked I, like it. Yeah, yeah. It was. It, it's what it seemed to be, like sort of the exterior of an air temple. And he goes inside and he sees himself from the back kind of in a, a meditative pose. Mm-hmm. Um, and his meditating self turns towards him and is revealed to be in the avatar state. So eyes glowing, arrow tattoo glowing. Intensely focused. Yes, uh, and then we see the the wind in the room pick up, and we see Katara and Sokka are now there, and they're watching 
avatar state Aang as he sort of is surrounding himself in this ball of wind. Mm -hmm. Um, And he blows the ball up and blows non-avatar state Aang out of the room, right? So we'll call that regular Aang. So we have avatar state Aang (laughs) and regular Aang. Blows him out of the room. And we see this sort of ornate door close. And it looks like it's, again, this looks like an air temple door. It looks like mm-hmm. it might even have one of those fancy air bending locks on it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we've seen things like this before. The door then opens to reveal Avatar State Aang floating uh, in this field of light. And we see him, and I, I believe this is what I saw. He breathes fire. Yep, yep. Um, and then he does this sort of slashing airbending move and it's a move that we're going to see throughout this episode right so so to, to my mind this is indicating this is a particularly violent move yes um which is something we don't really associate with Aang. and i'm not sure we ever saw him do something like that except perhaps when he's inside the water spirit exactly that is the only time because we see him basically slice a ship in half mm-hmm. with that motion so we so he's doing this sort of two camera um or two regular ang um uh, and then what we see happens is like the floor beneath Aang splits and mm-hmm. we see so so regular Aang falls through the floor um, and then he falls to this sort of dark rocky place where in the distance we can see the ocean spirit that Aang embodied before. Right. right. And the ocean spirit is um, doing that same sort of slashing move and it's sort of. Um, moving along with Avatar State Aang. So there is a kind of a callback to the fact that Avatar State Aang was controlling this massive mm-hmm. uh, ocean spirit fish monster thing. And that thing. Yeah. the destruction was partially because of Aang. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden we see Aang snap awake. Uh, and we see that he's sleeping in a hammock in a room where both Sokka and Katara are sleeping as well. And we you can it's pretty clear I think the hammock sort of point to this and we're going to see in a minute that this is the case that this is in the holds of a ship, right? right? That they're they're under deck in a ship. Um so we see Aang climb up and we see Katara sort of wake up as Aang is leaving and follows after him. So we cut to the deck of the ship and it's this really cool it's a it's it's a pretty cool water nation ship that the likes of which we haven't really seen mm. before. So it's this double hulled ship um not exactly like a catamaran but it does have two hulls like that so maybe kind of i guess maybe it is a catamaran i don't know um and katara is trying to talk to ang about what happened yeah about this dream she says um do you want to talk about it and he says no at first and And then then he proceeds to talk about it second later (laughs) yeah he says it was just a nightmare i was in the avatar state but i was outside of my body watching myself it was scary I was scary. He's haunted yeah, by yeah. himself. Yeah. yeah. So, and I think this is the first time that we've had him really reflect on the Avatar state, right? Mm. Um, which is the title of this episode. So so it's pointing to the fact that we're going to learn more about this. And we've asked lots of questions about this. Oh, definitely. How do you get in? Like, what? where is he? Is it the same as being in the spirit world? Is it not? Where does his power come from? Yeah, there's so many questions that are kind of answered in this episode and it's also interesting that in his vision or sorry his dream um did you notice that he only used three of the four elements too oh so the avatar state ang <laughs> used fire out of he breathed fire mm-hmm. he used air and then he was using water as the ocean spirit and so the only one that he didn't use was earth which is what regular ang hasn't ever used before that's so it's like he 
it's looking at himself as the avatar state as being scary, but really reflecting on himself and his use of bending for destruction, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and, I, and this, so, so, so we are laying the groundwork for one of the big themes of this episode, which is um, the destruction that, that is attached to being Avatar. And we're mm-hmm. going to see that that plays out in multiple kinds of ways. Yeah. In, in some ways, maybe ways we haven't thought about yet. Yeah, even like the loss of life, whether he does it himself or it's collateral damage to Exactly, exactly. And we've already talked about how he leaves danger in his wake. Like, mm-hmm. this is not new. But this is Aang continuing to... I mean, he's he basically, he's reckoning with the fact that he just became this ultimate weapon in the siege of the north right and mm-hmm. and and he didn't have control of himself i think that's prob- probably the thing that's when he says it was scary i was scary was like he can recognize that it was him doing it mm-hmm. like he can see that but he knows that that's not him and it's so different than the avoid and evade version of ang mm-hmm. you know the the sort of peaceful version of ang um, so then we cut to daytime on the ship, uh, and we see that our heroes and the South Pole-bound water tribe are meeting um, on this ship. So, uh, so a send-off. Yeah, kind of. yeah. So, so I mean, they, they set sail with them, so these folks are heading south. And clearly, we, we, we don't quite yet know where, where um, Aang, and, uh, Aang and our heroes are headed, but clearly this is when they're going to be separating, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we see Paku is there, and he holds up a necklace for Katara. And he says, I want you to have this. This amulet contains water from the spirit oasis. The water has unique properties. Don't lose it. I want to know what the unique properties are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's um, so So I wrote in my notes here, Chekhov's water amulet. Are you familiar with, uh, with Chekhov's gun as a, can you as a concept? Okay. So Anton Chekhov is a, a 19th, maybe early 20th century Russian playwright. Okay. Um, and I forget the, I forget which play it is, but there is a, a play where very early in the in the first act, uh, a gun is introduced into the scene. I think there's like a gun hanging on the wall, and they comment on it. And it's this. But it's, it's subtle. Well, they, they 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 just comment on its existence there. Oh, okay. Like maybe they're like, oh yeah, I don't. Again, I don't know which play this is, but at any rate, it's introduced and. The, the, there's a storytelling um, idea known as Chekhov's gun, which is if a gun is introduced in Act 1, it has to be fired by Act 3, right? Like, oh, it's like, yeah. so, so it's like, so then you spend the rest of the, um, you spend the rest of the play wondering, like, when is this thing going to come into yeah. play? So it's like, I feel like they've introduced this powerful thing, and now until it comes into play, and it might be at the very end of this season, I'm going to be like, when's the water amulet coming? When's the water amulet coming? Could be the coming? very end of the whole series. Yeah. Right, right. But, but, but they've, it was so intentionally, yes. you know, like, okay, here is this powerful thing. Don't lose it. Be careful with it. But he doesn't say what it is. And it's like, okay, yep, I'm in. But so yeah. so, so, I'm going to be looking for this constantly. And I'm assuming by what he says that this is very precious and that there's going to – not only is it going to come into use, but there's probably going to be a moment where it is lost. Mm. And maybe that is a, a moment where it feels like all is lost, yeah. and we need to come out of that. So also wouldn't be the first time she lost a necklace. That's true. That's true. Uh, and it is interesting that he's giving this necklace to her. I mean, he's the one who crafted the the necklace that she got from her mother. Yeah. Right. So from Graham Graham that yeah. he that he gave to Graham Graham. Yeah. So you know, uh, Ang wanted to be a jewelry maker. You know, and, uh, and Paku's a jewelry maker. So perhaps he could yeah. be trained in the ways. Yes. So then he gives Aang some uh, some gifts as well. He says, these scrolls will help you 
master waterbending. So we've seen waterbending mm-hmm. scrolls before. Uh, but remember, they're no substitute for a real master. And here they both look at Katara. Mm-hmm. Right? Because we saw in the end of last episode that Paku has basically said, you're now a, a master. And, yeah. and you're his teacher. Right? Mm-hmm. So so we see Aang is still training in waterbending. You know, we don't see a lot of that training, but these scrolls sort of point to that. And it's also interesting because although Katara is a master, she also is, I mean, she has her Hermione-esque, you know, kinds of um, traits where it's like, I'm sure she will love the presence of these scrolls. I hope they come back. I hope that's not just a tip of the hat to, oh, yeah, you're still learning waterbending, but she's going to be your real teacher. Like, I hope that there's stuff that comes out of these scrolls. Oh, yeah. I hope all these things are intentional in that and way. And we see them practicing or, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then it's time for Sokka. So Sokka walks up ready to pre- ready to be presented with his gift. And uh, as you pointed out in your notes, I mean, th- this reminded you of another scene, right, where gifts are bestowed. Right. In Lord of the Rings, when the, is it the Fellowship is receiving gifts? Yeah, from, from Galadriel. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think there is a sword. It was, there were swords, right? And I don't remember the all of The swords come from a different part, but yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> but this is where they get the cloaks and, and right. he, uh, Sam gets rope. And like every single person gets something, right? Yep, yep. This also reminds me of The Wizard of Oz, right? Where Oz is handing out, ah. you know, handing out things. So now it is Sokka's turn. Oh, he's so ready for it. And what does what does Paku say to Sokka? He says, take care, son. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> happy trails. Yeah, <laughs> so very funny joke. I did see that that our guy John O'Brien has, right? He didn't write this episode, but he's there's like four people as the credited written by, and he's sure. one of them. So in my own mythology, I want to be like, that's an O'Brien joke, oh, right? Because that's, kind of, that's the kind of stuff we see in his episode. And there's some funny parts in this episode, too, where mm-hmm. I was thinking the same thing. It sounds like John O'Brien. That's right. <laughs> We're his biggest fans, I think. <laughs> Even though we also think he wrote the worst episode. But yeah, yeah. He's written some good stuff. That's right. So Paku says, uh, fly straight to the Earth Kingdom east of here. General Fung will help provide an escort to Omashu. So now we know where they're headed. And when I heard Omashu. <laughs> I know. I like. I already knew what the next sentence was going to be. There you'll be safe to begin your earthbending training with King Bumi. And they fly off. And I was like, <gasps> this is great. Because... He he's introduced in season one as such a powerful earthbender that it's like, and they're already friends. It's like, how could he not be the trainer? So I was really excited that they, um, that they went in that they're that we are going in that direction. Yes. Now the interesting thing is, how long will it take to get there? Like we saw in season one, we spent the whole season trying to get there. It'll be interesting to see what they do with this season. Is this season? going to be four or five episodes to get to Omashu because I feel like Bossing Say has to be involved yeah, at some point right. too. So, yeah, so I I'm I'm very curious where the journey is going to lead us. Also, brilliant storytelling that this uh forces us to go on these long quests and the mm. quests seem very natural like yes, of course you would need to go here and go there. And how cool was it that they had to go to the other side of the earth in season 1? So they got to introduce a bunch of stuff that now we get to go back to. So mm-hmm. I'm we know we know we're going to see Boomy again. I'm wondering like are we going to see Haru and his father yep. again? Are we going to is Jong Jong going to come back? Like we mm-hmm. we're go, we're now going to be tra- retraversing a continent that we have explored already, that we know people yeah. in. We know cities. We, like, the, the world building here is phenomenal. Yeah. It's so good. And I'm so excited for this season because I feel like they have set the table. And now we're now we get to 
retrace our steps in some ways. And I wonder how many new places we'll find in the Earth Kingdom too, new people too, to add to their mm -hmm. little crew to get back the, the gang for the end for right. the final. Because if we think about it, Omashu is like episode five or six. It's early. It's yeah. super early. And it so it took them arguably 10, 11 episodes to get to the North Pole from Omashu. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it could be... 10 or 11 episodes till we get back there. It'll be interesting to see how quickly they want to get mm -hmm. us there because that will tell us about this story. Is this story going to be another trek to find the master? Or are we going to I mean, we also could be in Amashu next episode. Right. Like we could just, they could just say, okay, we're going to get there because we've got a, whole, a bunch more story to tell. I hope it's soon because then that tells me they're not just going to run back the sort of, we are on a quest to get to this place. Right. So, exactly. So I'm actually really, really excited to see there. Man, we're like half a page into oh, this. Oh, I know. <laughs> um, but I think there, there's a lot of interesting setup here. So we cut from here to uh, what looks like this beautiful large estate that's kind of up on stilts in the middle of a bridge above a waterfall. Very picturesque. Yes. So I wrote here, location, location, location. <laughs> Whoever we're going to find at this at this spot, like they know their real estate. This might be one of the prettiest places that we've seen. Mm -hmm. I mean, it looks very peaceful. The There are cherry blossoms everywhere. everywhere. I mean, it's, it actually looks, looks gorgeous. Which if there's cherry blossoms, does that mean it's spring? You would think so, and that actually tracks pretty well. Yeah, because by end of summer, we we're we're gonna have the final showdown. That's when Sozin's comet comes. So, like, if we're looking at this, because this is still pretty far north, I would assume. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm assuming that weather works roughly like it does on our <laughs> planet. Um, that 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 would mean that this might be late spring when the cherry blossoms come to this area. Sure, you know so. Anyhow, we need to see who is here, and it is <laughs> no surprise. Uh, we see Iroh, and he's getting this outdoor massage. So there's these two kind of big hulking guys who are giving him uh, this massage, and we see the cherry blossoms falling. Very pretty. Man, this is a guy who is always relaxed, but this is like peak. That's right. We haven't seen this since the hot springs. <laughs> Uh, so he, and so we see Iroh saying, "Who knew that floating on a piece of driftwood for three weeks with no food and water and sea vultures waiting to pluck out your liver could make one so tense?" <laughs> what I love about this is he has now told us the passage of time. We are three weeks since last we saw these characters, mm -hmm. which for this show is uh, a quite a big time jump, right? Because my impression is not that we did that in real time, but like. <laughs> It didn't seem like they did a lot of time jumps in season one. So they gave us a, a bit of a time jump. So we can assume Aang has been training for three weeks more, you mm -hmm. know. So so I'm curious to see uh, where his water bending is at. Um, so then we so, – so Iroh is doing this. And then we, we look – we cut over and we see Zuko sort of sitting over on the floor – Heads in, um, heads in his like knees, just kind of depressed. Yeah, looks very depressed. He's wearing a kind of conical uh, mm -hmm. farmer's hat, dripped um, like draped over his face. You yeah. can't really see him. Yeah, and I did. I did a little bit of reading about that kind of hat because I oh. wanted to know, like, okay, does that does that indicate something? All that I could find is it is a very common hat. It's a uh, called a rice hat, a farmer's hat. There's lots of different. Um, but what what I think is interesting about it as a farmer's hat is that. That means that it is the what 
because uh, clothes matter, right? We right. see that they're no longer in their Fire Nation garb. Now they're in this kind of gray. It's really cool. I actually like yeah. this look a lot. So they're not in the Fire Nation black. They're in gray now. I mean, Iroh's in a spa robe. Right. But right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, he's gonna he's gonna be wearing gray. Um, but the the farmer's hat may also point to uh, class has been something throughout this show, and this episode is gonna make some statements about class Mm -hmm. um so i would assume a farmer's hat is also kind of a peasant's hat too that it's not i mean i don't know that it specifically indicates that but this might be some foreshadowing to to where we're going to be right definitely not suitable for a fire nation prince right right um and it's also a way to hide out right he's Mm -hmm. we don't he's hiding his face you know even here so Ira walks over to him uh, wearing, wearing very little clothes and says, <laughs> um, I see it's the anniversary, isn't it, Zuko? Uh, and Zuko says, three years ago today, I was banished. I lost it all. I want it back. I want the avatar. I want my honor, my throne. I want my father not to think of think I'm worthless. And what's interesting is this is, is Zuko running back the plan from season one. Mm. I mean, this is the same type of thing he would have said in season one, which is I was interested in, like, where is Zuko going to be headed in this season? Because he's no longer, he no longer seems to have the Fire Nation at his disposal. He didn't exactly in season one, but he had a ship and he had, you know, he had soldiers and things like that. So now he's at least right at this point in the episode saying the same type of things we saw um, in season one. And Iroh says, I'm sure he won't. Why Why would he banish you if he didn't care? And this hurts Zuko, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and Iroh, maybe for the first time, is like, oh, maybe that didn't come out right. Yeah. <laughs> but what I like about this is it points to another theme we're going to see in this episode, which is there is this kind of rift between Zuko and Iroh we can see in this comment, right? That mm-hmm. that Iroh kind of for the first time says something that digs at Zuko. Right. And Where he, Zuko's done that to Iroh many times. Right. But right. But but coming from his uncle. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So then we cut to a Fire Nation ship uh, at sea, and we see the fire troops all lined up and bowing as this covered curtain throne is carried out. You know, we can't see who's in it, but it's this, you know, we can, it's a very traditional thing. Like, you know, somebody yes. of importance is in there. Yes. And we can, we can kind of guess who's going to come out here. So the curtains are pulled back to reveal Zuko's sister. And she announces to the, uh, the troops on the ship, my brother and uncle have disgraced the Fire Lord and brought shame on all of us. You may have mixed feelings about attacking members of the royal family. I understand, but I assure you, if you hesitate, I will not hesitate to bring you down. So she's powerful. Yes. And she's she's confident and she's overtly threatening. Right. Right. And she is sort of saying like, yes, these are members of the royal family, but believe me. I am I am more dangerous to you than right. they th- than attacking them is, right. right? Like if you have if you have qualms about this, know that they're that that will not be an excuse for failure. Right. And their status as a traitor is more important than their status as family. Right. Uh the next little exchange sort of doubles down on this. So she, after she makes this address, the ship's captain comes to her and says, uh, "I'm afraid the tides will not allow us to bring the ship into port before nightfall. Just pretty logistical, like yeah. just state, statement of fact. Yeah, I mean, this is a navy; they know how the they know how the seas work. Um, and uh, the princess responds, "I'm sorry, Captain, but I don't know much about the tides. Can you explain something to me? Do the tides command this ship?" 
You said the tides would not allow us to bring the ship in. Do the tides command the ship? And if I were to have thrown you overboard, would the tides think twice about smashing you against the rocky shore? Well, then maybe you should worry less about the tides, who have already made up their minds about killing you, and worry more about me, who's still mulling it over. Genius. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is some Darth Vader stuff we're seeing out of her. Oh, yeah. You know, where, where again, she is overtly threatening, and she's like, play the calculations here. Like, uh, and, but, and she's also saying, like, I don't want to hear excuses. Yep. I want what I want. And we have to assume that she has some of the most powerful firebenders on that ship with her, and even they're quaking in fear. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because because we know a little bit about her. We know that she's a prodigy. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that all of this comes very easily to her. Right. The power comes very easily to her, and so it's inter- It'll be interesting because I I'm gonna make the assumption that she is going to be our big villain for this season, mm. if not for the rest of the show, for this season, and. Um, we've already heard Zuko compare her and Aang. Right. So I think in the same way we have this cross-cut constantly between Zuko and Aang, I think it's worth thinking about the comparison as we continue to get to know the princess, who we're going to find out her name is Azula, um, how much she and Aang are different and how much they're similar. Because to Zuko, they both have some similar traits or, or, or characteristics. Absolutely. So we cut to the gang flying on Appa. And Sokka's the first one to see the Earth Kingdom base. He's sort of sitting up there super bored, and all of a sudden he, like, pops up because he sees it. Uh, And it's this big round fortress with a great wall stretching across the mountain. So it's like, it's like, uh, I mean, yeah, it it seems like there's this big barrier, right, across across the mountains. And this is a, a, maybe a a bulwark or a fortress that's part of this big defense system. Mm -hmm. Um, And... The, so so they fly down into the into that fortress and we see that the gang is given the warmest greeting I think they've gotten right um, other than actually it's even warmer than the South Pole because oh, the South yeah. Pole you have you have Paku who's kind of kind of taken some shots you mm-hmm. know but here uh, the the general Fung who we've we've been announced to uh, or been uh, introduced to you know he, he gives this big warm welcome to Aang, but not only to Aang, right. but to everyone. Yeah, he points out everyone, even Appa and Momo. Mm-hmm. In fact, he says their names first, right? He says, he calls them great heroes, and he says Appa, Momo, Brave Sokka, the mighty Katara, right? So, like, news of everything about this crew has spread, presumably, yeah. Yeah. throughout the Earth Kingdom. Right, because this rendezvous was arranged. This mm-hmm. was arranged by... The, the folks in the South Pole to connect with Funk because he's going to be their escort to um, to Amashu. So, yeah, the, the story of what has happened, the, the mythology of this group is already has already spread. And we've seen in, in much earlier episodes that word can spread very quickly in, right. you know, in this world. Um, and then they, they even put on this big display of daytime fireworks. I'm not exactly sure how that works, but it's like <laughs> it's during the day and they have these earthbenders firing up these big explosives into the air. And what's interesting is there's this moment where you see the gang really impressed mm-hmm. and flattered. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that they've experienced this in a while. We got this on Kyoshi a long time ago, this sort of, you know, fawning at least over Aang. But the, at least in this, there is this sense that all of them are these celebrated, you know, the, these celebrated heroes. Mm-hmm. So then we move inside to this huge temple-like structure with pillars and either big windows or open air. 
it's I mean it kind of looks like what a Greek temple would look like on the mm-hmm. inside. It's very cool. Um, and Ang is Ang and, and his friends are in the company of Fung, and he's talking with them. And he says, Avatar Ang, we were all amazed at the stories of how you single-handedly wiped out an entire Fire Navy fleet at the North Pole. I can't imagine what it feels like to wield such devastating power. It's an awesome responsibility. Avatar, you're ready to face the Fire Lord now. Hmm. So um, one of the things that we hear already from Fung here is he is obsessed with the idea of power and wielding power. Right. That and, it's devastating, but also awesome. Yes. Yeah. And, and um, we're going to see here that this is a callback to things we've hinted at, right? That Aang is this, can be weaponized. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people, people encounter Aang and think about how can we use him to our advantage. And, and Fung is going to be uh, no different than that, right? And Aang's pretty shocked when he says, are you ready to face the Fire Lord now? He says, no, I'm not. And Katara points out that he still needs to master all four elements. And Fung says, why? With the kind of power he possesses, power enough to destroy hundreds of battleships in a matter of minutes, he could defeat the Fire Lord now. And we see Fung almost getting angry at this idea. Like, he's getting sort of obsessed with this idea. And it's he sounds so much... Like Boromir in the Fellowship mm-hmm. of the Ring, like he's out because you know Boromir is much like Fung is on the front lines of fighting this war, yeah. and he's like, wait, we have this in our possession right now, and we're not going to use it, like, like you know, so so there's this obsession with this idea of mm-hmm. the potential of how angry we can can't be afford used. to wait. Exactly right. Um, so um, so Sokka points out that Ang can only have that kind of power when he's in the avatar state. So then Aang starts to explain how the avatar state works. But he doesn't even know. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But if, uh, what's interesting is Fung cuts him off and he's like, yeah, I'm well aware. Your eyes and tattoos glow and you summon an unbelievable power. And it's like he, it's like this oversimplification of this. And again, like you said, Aang doesn't even understand it. Right. But, but we can see that all Fung wants to hear is all he wants to see is power and all he wants to hear about is how are you going to help me use this. Mm-hmm. Right, He says, without you, we'd be slaughtered before we even reach their shores. But with you leading the way as the ultimate weapon, I mean, he actually calls him that, right? Um, we could cut a swath right through the heart of the Fire Nation. And at this moment, there's some great map work. I love when they get to maps and he's we actually get to see him sort of point out where they are and where they need to head. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see the fire, the heart of the Fire Nation is this... Man. Yeah, is this sort of island off to the west. I need to, like, get you a map of this for Christmas or something. <laughs> uh, so uh, Aang points out that he doesn't know how to get into the Avatar state or what to do when he's there. And Fung, again, only hearing what he wants to hear, says, okay, so it's decided. Uh, I'll help you figure out how to get into the Avatar state and you'll face your destiny. So Fung is just hearing like, okay, what's the problem? You don't know how to get there? Well, we'll figure out how to get you there. He's not hearing Aang and Katara and Sokka say, no, this isn't a good idea, mm-hmm. right? He's just like, okay, what are the obstacles and let's let's deal with it. I mean, in some ways he's being very practical, right? I mean, these are probably very male characteristics too of like, right. what is the problem? Let's solve the problem and, and go forward, go forward, right. go forward. And then Katara stands up though as master as well and like, her energy in this episode reminded me a lot of Gyatso, too, mm-hmm. of, like, advocating for Aang when Aang doesn't appear to have a voice. That's really interesting because that's his last master. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. So, she's like, we already have a plan. 
Uh, Aang's pursuing his destiny his way. And here's where Fung plays a really interesting card here. He says, well, let me show you something. Uh, he says, uh, while you take your time learning the elements, the war goes on. And then he, he goes over to the, the window and he says, that's the infirmary. And those soldiers are the lucky ones. So we see a bunch of like wounded soldiers. They came back. Every day the Fire Nation takes lives. People are dying, Aang. You could end it now. Think about that. It seems so much like a staged thing, doesn't it? Like he knows exactly that Aang wouldn't have wanted to do it. So he brings him to look at. That's what I felt. But I also think it's true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for sure. Um, I mean, there, there's a kind of propaganda here, right? Let's let's mm-hmm. justify this. But it's also like like the thing that I thought of instantly with this is when you look at um, debates and arguments around the war in the Pacific in World War II. Mm. And there's sort of this sense of, okay, if, you know, like we have all these forces and we could invade Japan and here's all the lives that are going to be lost and here's all the lives that are being lost day after day after day. We could do that. Or we could, to use Fung's words, unleash the ultimate weapon, yeah. right, and end this right now. And think of, I mean, because that's how Hiroshima and Nagasaki are justified, is like, think of all the lives that were saved by not invading Japan. Right. Um, but there's also all the lives that are destroyed from it. Right. You know, so so like, I, like again, this is, we always keep pointing to this as a kid's show, like, this is actually like a, a, a really heavy philosophical question ethical dilemma yeah 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 so so and, and they 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 lean right into it and i mm. think that's that's really interesting because this is the exact thing that ang has to wrestle with like there is he brings destruction with him when he utilizes his power but fung is pointing out again i believe not incorrectly that right by your inaction Lives are being lost. Right. Lives are being destroyed. Too. Either way. Yes. Yeah. So, so I mean, Aang, this, Aang is forced to deal with this. All right. So we cut back to the princess's ship uh, and we see her uh, in her own training. So we've, we've, we have lots of images of people training in this show, uh, but she's practicing something that we haven't seen or we've only seen in a brief flashing moment, which is she appears to be Bending lightning? Right. We've seen Iroh redirect uh, redirect lightning, but we've never seen someone create it. Yeah. And that's what it looks like she's doing. Yeah. In episode 12, the storm, Iroh bends a, a, a lightning bolt away from hitting someone, but doesn't create it. She seems to be summoning it. And she has two older women looking on. And I'm wondering, are these her masters? Right. We don't get any context for them. No, the, but we do get the fact that after she's, she does this training... They comment to her, almost perfect, one hair out of place. So clearly they are critiquing her. So this made me think they must be right. They must be her masters. Um, and then the princess says, almost isn't enough. Uh, and she bends lightning again, and we hear this big explosion of thunder, right? Mm-hmm. So, so we see that she is a perfectionist. Right. And although she's somebody to whom this comes easily as Zuko, at least as Zuko sees it she is also somebody who's training and is um aspiring to perfection right and under immense pressure right as well. absolutely um so when we hear this explosion of thunder at this moment we see Iroh wake up from his sleep and he seems to sense something right yep. so so Iroh whether this is he actually hears that explosion or it's just his 
Iro senses kind of <laughs> kind of sparking up, right? Like like this is a sign that he knows something is coming. Mm-hmm. Um, so back at the Earth Kingdom fortress, it's nighttime, and we see Aang approach Fung alone this time, and he says, "I'm in. I'll fight the Fire Lord." So clearly, the argument that Fung is making is working on uh, working on Aang. Um, that that he's convinced to say, "Okay, I this is against." It's even against what my friends and my master is saying, but I have to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then we see Aang go back to his room and he tells Katara what he told the general. Uh, and Katara argues that it's not the right way. But Sokka seems open to it. You know, he's thinking of Aang's victory against the the Fire Navy at the North Pole and is like, maybe this actually is it. Because you got to think, this is so much more powerful than anything they've ever seen because an avatar hasn't existed for a for three generations yeah. so like of course that's of course that seems like a viable option right so katara says and again she is really the master at this point she says uh there's a right way to do this practice study discipline right mm-hmm. that sounds like other masters we've encountered jong jong these are the words that these are he she is echoing those exact words, right? That was a mission statement we got from Zhang Zhang, and she is saying that's the right way to do this. Um, even if, even if you could win the other way, there's potentially a danger in unleashing that kind of power. Mm-hmm. And Sokka says, or you could just glow it up and stomp the Fire Lord. <laughs> uh, so Katara says, if you two meatheads want to throw away everything we've worked for, fine, go ahead and glow it up. And Aang says, I'm just being realistic. I don't have time to do this the right way. Which uh, also reminded me of conversations they've had in the past, too, where Aang has expressed his anxieties to her as a psychiatrist almost. (laughs) And uh, she continues to say, it's out of your control. This is just what will happen, right? Mm -hmm. Which is another, like, Iroism. Like, just let things play out. You can't control time. Right. 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 And it's interesting because this reminds me of um, uh, I mean, this is this is a this episode has a lot of this. Uh, this is a great Star Wars callback. Right. This is is Luke at Dagobah training with Yoda and Yoda is is constantly critical of Luke wanting things to go faster. Mm. And 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 he even leaves before his training is done. And, and this is a version of that. This is a version of Aang saying. I know that there is other ways to do this, but I have to do this now, mm-hmm. right? And um, and I think the the you know if we're going back to to Joseph Campbell and Monomyth, right? That this is a very common thing where the the teacher is teaching one thing, but the youth this is that energy of youth wanting to things to go faster, things to happen now, thinking I have enough now. I've already look at how far I've come. I've I mean these are echoing the words of Luke, right? Look at how far I've come. I'm ready and the the person who actually knows is not being listened to saying you have no idea what you're facing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you uh if you do this. Um so then we go uh to daytime and we're now we're seeing the different ways they're trying to provoke the avatar state. So we see um, Fung and Aang and Sokka and interestingly Katara. Right. Right. And they're up on a gazebo on top of a waterfall. They seem to love things on top of waterfalls here. <laughs> uh, that's a very common place to go. Um, and uh, they're working with Aang to trigger the avatar state. So they give him this tea and they say, this is a ra- this rare chai enhancing tea 
or chi enhancing tea is a natural stimulant in an ordinary warrior it improves strength and energy tenfold in you it may induce the avatar state so ang drinks the tea and immediately goes into like sugar high caffeine caffeine high mode and he's just like spinning around the room these couple scenes they gotta be john o'brien right yeah, I mean, they're 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 just like they're they're, they're like, goofy. Yeah, yeah, which I think is helpful. Um, and I don't know if people are critical of this stuff, but it's helpful because again, this is a show for children, and we've just introduced the dilemma over the atomic bomb. <laughs> we've introduced, uh, yeah, like 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 there's a lot of darkness in this episode, so having some of these light moments is is really really helpful. Um, so then we're back at the fortress, and Sokka has an idea. He's like, "What if I shock Aang into the Avatar state?" And Aang's like, oh, great, I love surprises. So he covers his eyes, and then when he opens them back up, can you describe what he sees? Sokka is standing with his uh, shirt up over his head and Momo sitting inside the the neck part of the shirt. So it's just like Sokka's body, Momo's head, yeah. and Momo shrieks. It's quite terrifying. It's a callback, right, to Ko? Don't you think? Oh, yes. Because when yes. Ko blinked, it was like the same sound as... Um, as the the monkey, the spirit monkey made when he blinked and and like went into Ooh. Aang's face. So I feel like Sokka's actually super smart here because he's like, I know some of your fears, right? <laughs> so let's that's play on those. So right? interesting. And you have face stealing, right? Like the mm-hmm. the face that's there is not the face that should be there. That's really interesting. Yeah. Good call. Huh? I'm impressed. And he I mean, he was really shocked. Aang was. He didn't keep his cool like when he was with Ko, but didn't work. Right. Right. And we see Fung just sort of shaking his head like like these. Like, this is silly. There has to be a way to do this. You're wasting right? time. Yeah. So now uh, we're inside the temple and we see, a, a, I assume, a priest of some kind. And he says to Aang, you are wearing a ceremonial piece of clothing from each of the bending nations. So we see Aang all dressed up. He has uh, clearly an earth, uh, earth-bending helmet, a hat with uh, like leaves sprouting out of it, a water tribe fur-lined cape. He's wearing a, a Fire Nation kind of skirt thing. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell what the airbending thing was. I think it's just his normal clothes underneath, right? But are those ceremonial? Oh. Like, like I I, I really looked at this picture closely to try to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, maybe the tattoos themselves. Are, I don't know. Could be. Yeah. And, oh man, all of it together, he looks like one of those kids when they go out into the cold and they're like wearing a ton of layers. Like, he looks ridiculous yes. wearing all this. Yes. Uh, so he says, now I will join the four elements into one. This is definitely John O'Brien. Water, <laughs> earth, fire, air. And he's throwing these things into this uh, into this bowl. And he says, all four elements together as one. And he throws it on Aang. And what happens when you mix water, <laughs> earth, fire, and wind? <laughs> you make mud. You make mud. And he's just <laughs> like, uh, I think this is just mud. And they're like, well, do you feel anything? And there's this like kind of pregnant pause. And then he sneezes and every they all get sort of encased in mud um, upon his big airbending sneeze. Everything's failing. That's right. That's right. Um, so then we cut back to the uh, the Fire Nation spa. I don't know what you like. I'm actually interested in like, like these are clearly Fire Nation people. But like, where is this safe haven spa that they're yeah, at? Sounds nice. Um, but we go back there and we see um, Iroh walks in and says, Look at these magnificent shells. I will enjoy these keepsakes for years to come. Always trying to find some deals. Yeah, yeah. And 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 it's interesting because we see, I mean, they've been traveling for three years and Iroh's been collecting things. But Zuko points out, we don't need more useless things. You forget, we have to carry everything ourselves now. So it's all, this is a moment where it's, it is kind of like Zuko is teaching Iroh, like, remember... 
all that stuff that we did before, like music night, like that stuff's done now. Like, like yeah. it is you and I. We don't have a ship. We don't have soldiers. We don't have any of that stuff anymore. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. So, but again, we're starting to see maybe this class shift too, right? Mm-hmm. To say like, like we were once, we once had access to these things, right. had privileges to these things, and maybe we don't. Although they still have this spa, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> um, so then all of a sudden we realize that the princess is in her room, is in the room and she makes her presence known. And she says, Azuko uh, says, what are you doing here? And the princess says, in my country. In we, her country. Yes. Uh, we exchange a pleasant hello before asking questions. Have you become uncivilized so soon, Zuzu? So we again, we, we're hearing this uncivilized language, right? Mm-hmm. That she is the Fire Nation. It is her country. And they are now the savages, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Patronizing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Zuko's like, don't call me that. And Iroh says, uh what do we owe to what do we owe this honor? So he's trying to be um more courtly, I think, you know, yep. like 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 using the formal language. Uh but the princess says, hmm, it must be a family trait. Both of you so quick to get to the point. I've come with a message from home. Father's changed his mind. Family is suddenly very important to him. He's heard rumors of plans to overthrow him, treacherous plots. Family are the only ones he can really trust. Father regrets your banishment and wants you home. Then Zuko just sort of like staring off, like he's sort of stunned by this. And she says, do you hear me? You should be happy, excited, grateful. I just gave you great news. And Iroh says, I'm sure your brother simply needs a moment. Iroh's always trying to sort of explain, massage things. Yeah, and mediate. Yes, and she snaps, don't interrupt, uncle. I still haven't heard my thank you. Yes. I'm not a messenger, right? So she's just like, this is not, this is this is special. You should be honored that I am here, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not a messenger. I didn't come all this way. I didn't have to come all this way. So Zuko doesn't know what to do with this news. And, and, and the princess says, uh, I can see you need time to take this in. I'll come call on you tomorrow, right? So, yep. so this is now... Um, this is the news in some ways Zuko's been waiting for, right? Right. This is a this is at least the promise of a reinstatement. Right. Well, and in this episode you have Zuko and Aang again like mirroring each other. They both are in a place where they could get something they want, Aang to stop suffering, right? And mm-hmm. then um Zuko to go home. And the people who are manipulating them are like using their anxieties against mm-hmm. them, and it's very real like she must know, Azula must know that Zuko had a, like, there was the plot to kill him by Zhao, that the shipmates, no one likes him. Like, he only has Iroh, so he really only does have family. Mm-hmm. So Zuko would understand his father also being worried about plots against him, too. Exactly. Exactly. Right. right. Uh, so we cut back to the Earth Fortress. Uh, Katara and Aang are talking as the sun sets. Katara reminds Aang of the first time she saw him enter the Avatar state. Uh, at the Southern Air Temple uh, when he found the remains of Gyatso. She says, it must have been so horrible and traumatic for you. I saw you get so upset that you weren't even you anymore. I'm not saying the Avatar State doesn't have incredible and helpful power, but you have to understand, for the people who love you, watching you be in so much rage and pain is really scary. Mm-hmm. And Aang says, I'm really glad that you told me that, but I still have to do this. Every day, more and more people die. I'm already a hundred years late. That hit me like a hammer. Yeah. You know, that he's not just thinking every day 
people die, but for a century, people have died. And he's thinking about, you know, his his own home that he wasn't there to help protect uh, protect people um, at the at the air temple. Mm-hmm. Says defeating the fire lord is the only way to stop this war. I have to try it. Katara says, but I can't watch you do this to yourself. I'm not coming tomorrow. So she's been present this whole time, even though she's disagreed with it. But now she's saying, I don't want to see this. Right. I don't want wherever this is headed. I don't want to be part of it. So then we're back at the spa at uh, and th- this same night, right? Zuko is packing and talking to Iroh. And Zuko seems excited about the prospects of going home. He says, we're going home after three long years. It's unbelievable. And Iroh very wisely says, it is unbelievable. Uh, I've never known my brother to regret anything. Right. Zuko says, didn't you listen to Azula? Father realizes how important family is to him. He cares about me. Iroh says, I care about you. I mean, if Ozai wants you back, well, I think he may. it may not be for the reasons you imagine, Zuko. Which is interesting to what you were saying with the doubling. Because mm. everything you said is right. And also, they have their most trusted mentor The one and who advisor, loves them the most, really. Right, telling them, this is too easy. Mm-hmm. Like, this is taking the easy way out, and it's not what you think it is. Right. Right, so that mirroring continues. I mean, it's interesting to think of Katara and Iroh as as mirrors of the each masters, other. But yeah. they are. At this point, they, they absolutely are. Uh, Zuko says, you don't know what my father feels about me. You don't know anything. At that, I was like, ooh, after the Siege of the North Part 2, or maybe 1, when we learned that Zuko ha- or um, Iroh has a son. Yeah. And for uh, Zuko to say, you don't know how my father feels about me. Ooh. Right. Well, and we've talked about this as a story about orphans. Yeah. And this is such a, a, an adoption nightmare scenario right for the parent right because it's the adopted parent versus the biological parent right yeah. that 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 Iro really is the adopted parent and this is i mean in 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 a lot of those stories we'll use annie for example right that there's the there there is this uh this the adoptive parent who truly loves and cares for this this person but there is this draw to the biological mm-hmm. parent and when they come back even if the motives seem dicey there is this sense of you know, that, that that blood connection, although Zuko and I have a blood connection, but that that blood connection mm-hmm. is something that is so much more powerful. Special. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Zuko says, I only meant that in our family, things are not, or excuse me, um, Iroh says, uh, I only meant that in our family, things are not always what they seem. And Zuko says, I think you're exactly what you seem, a lazy, shallow, mistrustful old man who's always jealous of his brother. And again, it's it's just a, a hammer on on Iroh. Um, and what's interesting is he's also talking about sibling relationships. Yeah. Uh, and Zuko is in his own sibling relationship. And what's interesting is he should be mistrustful of his sister. Right. And he also is jealous of her raw talent exactly. and the love of her father. He's not seeing that he is Iroh. Right. right. Or maybe he is seeing it, but that's too painful to think about. Um, so we fade from this scene to pictures of icy waters. Um, and it's unclear at first whether this is a dream, what we're experiencing. It looks familiar, though, right? Mm-hmm. This looks like very early, probably episode two stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So then we see Avatar State Aang rising out of the water on a pillar of swirling water. 
So, and he lands on the deck of Zuko's ship. So this really is kind of a callback flashback to, to episode two uh, from season one. Uh, and, and the Avatar Aang confronts regular Aang who's standing on the deck there. So again, he's outside of himself. And he whips him off the deck with the pillar of water. Then he turns and faces Zuko who looks terrified and starts to run. And we see that he cuts water towards Aang. But what's interesting is he's no longer Avatar State Aang. Yeah. He's now, it's now regular Aang. The Avatar State Aang has become regular Aang. And there's, there's this sort of attack on Zuko, but it's also an attack on the viewer right. um, as well. Attack on Zuko as he's running away, somebody who he's saved twice before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then from this, we see Aang wake up and he's back in the fortress. And he wakes up Sokka and says, I don't think we should be trying to bring on the Avatar State. Uh, and we saw, see Sokka sleepily listening to him and agree. Now, it's interesting. This is the first time we've seen Sokka with his hair down. Too, yeah. I think. We've seen him sleep before, but his hair is, is always up. But I like at first I, yeah. I did double take when I saw him like, oh, weird. Yeah. Like, why? Why now? Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he says, do you think the general will be mad? And Sokka says, what can he say? You're the avatar. Who knows better than you? Um, so then we cut back to Zuko uh, with his pack. And he's walking down a st- this rocky staircase to the docks. And he's walking alone. Mm-hmm. Um, then we see Iroh run after him. And he says, family sticks together, right? And Zuko smiles. Yeah. And he's like, you came. Yes. It's really sweet. And we see this flashback to this. It's sort of weird because it's like a sepia-toned photo. For just a second. <laughs> yeah. And it's uh, it's kind of like zoomed in of what we presume is young, Zup- young Zuko with Iroh's hand on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. At least that's what we presume it is. Now, the reason I say that is because... It's such a weird. It's such a weird image that it's a f- like a photo, and it's clearly a memory. And we're clearly not see. We see them from the back, so it's so set up to tell us this is who that is that I'm mistrustful of it. Right. I wanna. I just wanted them to zoom out a little bit more or stay on the image a little longer so we could get more context. But I right. bet it's gonna come back. Yes. No. No. This this struck me. I mean, I haven't seen anything past this, but like we're seeing this photo again, and my guess is we're gonna see it in a larger context and say, oh, okay. Mm. Like this might even be an image we come back to again and again, and we slowly get more of it. Um, it just definitely seems seeded that way mm-hmm. uh, in this episode. Um. So Suko says, we're finally going home. And he's excited about this. And Iroh looks down at the ship with uh, suspicion, mm-hmm. right? So so Iroh is not comfortable with this. Um, so that brings us back to the Earth Fortress. And Aang is addressing Fung. And he says, the thing is, I don't think we ever we can ever, we're ever going to be able to trigger the Avatar state yeah, They've tried purpose. everything at this point. Yeah. And Funk says, I'm sure, I, are you sure I can't change your mind? And Aang says, I can only reach the Avatar state when I'm in genuine danger. And Funk says, I see, I was afraid you'd say that. And he sets his, we see him set his base and he earthbends this huge piece of rock furniture towards, um, towards Aang. And we see in Sokka, the, the guards around Sokka grab him and Aang is thrown from the window into the courtyard and then we see Fung call his men in the courtyard to attack the Avatar, and they start to close in on him. Mm-hmm. And then commercial break. Yes. So we're back, and uh, Fung says, uh, I believe we're about to get results. He's like, now I know. If we put you in danger, this is your your defense mechanism for danger, right? Mm-hmm. So the earthbending troops start to throw these huge rock discs at Aang. Now, I, did you notice they look exactly like the Earth Nation coins? Oh, 
Yeah, like like these, now that you mention it. These circles with like a square cut out of the middle of them. Yeah. So I just found that interesting that, that it's like I we've seen that before. Yes. I couldn't place where we saw it. In the coinage, it. yeah. Uh, and we see Aang dodging, evading, and avoiding. He says, I'm not your enemy. I won't fight you. Uh, but they continue to attack him. Uh, at this point, we see Sokka fight himself free from the two guards that are restraining him, um, which is kind of great. I love seeing competent warrior Sokka because mm-hmm. we get a lot of like... The show likes to make fun of Sokka, like his, his not getting a gift from Paku. Yeah, yeah, but he's like he's got these two powerful guards around him, and he manages to to break free from them. Um, and he sees Aang continue to get attacked by the Earthbenders, uh, including Earthbenders who are mounted on the ostrich horse things that I still don't know exactly what they are. Yeah, but there are a lot of them. Yeah, and we see Aang do some really. I mean, he's not attacking; he's really only evading, avoiding. But he does some very cool, like matrix-esque like acrobatics and they kind of slow yeah. motion it to avoid the attacks and fung says you can't run forever and ang says you can't fight forever right yep. so there's this sense of like you want me to do this i am not going to give you the satisfaction of of um getting me to basically to to attack you so back at the docks we see uh, zuko and iroh are walking up to the ship and they're walking between two columns of fire nation soldiers and we see iroh kind of darting his eyes back and forth looking uh, suspiciously at them looking for weapons or any kind of sign of danger yeah yeah and it even the fact that they're marched between columns of soldiers like that could be hey ceremonial welcome back the prince or it could be it seems um i would be worried yes yes and iroh is worried and and Zuko seems kind of unaware. Mm-hmm. So Azula says, uh, brother, uncle, welcome. I'm so glad you decided to come. And we see this. So upon this, we see the soldiers fall in line behind them. And that which, makes Iroh a little bit antsy. Yeah, because it feels like the door behind them is now closed. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to go back that other way, you got to fight your way out. Um, so uh, the captain of the ship says, uh, are we ready to depart, your highness? And Azula says, set our course for home, captain. And Zuko repeats the word home. Again, it's almost like he's in a trance. Yeah. Like, it's just like, I'm going home. I'm going home. And and his, I mean, this is, it's interesting to think this is the same person who is the blue spirit. Right. This is, he is not mentally the blue spirit right now. He's entranced by this idea of, of going home. Everything he wants, yeah. Right. And you hear that, then the captain says to the, the people on the ship, you heard the princess raise the anchors. We're taking the prisoners home. Oops. Yeah. That guy's going to die. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, and you can, and, and then it cuts to Azula and like, and she realizes what he said. Like, you get this realization that everybody realized what he said. Yep. And it's like, okay, he just gave up the game. Yep. Right. And they were so close to having them, uh, to having them on the ship. Uh, so at the word prisoners, it's clear that the ruse is up and Iroh and Zuko start uh, taking out the fire soldiers. Now, what's interesting is initially they're doing it kind of only with martial arts and mm-hmm. not with firebending, mm-hmm. um, which I kind of like. I kind of like when this show gets uh, a, gets a little bit away from like, I have these magical powers and you have these and they're just like doing cool yeah, martial arts. They're trained in other ways too. That's right. Um, uh, and Zuko says, uh, you lied to me. And Azula says, like, I've never done that before. And she's, like, smiling. She doesn't seem like she's upset even. And she just, like, turns her back and walks towards the ship. Right. And then we see the, the two guards that are close to her, like, attack Zuko. And Zuko yells. And then they, that sort of crossfades with Aang yelling, mm-hmm. right? As we're, so we're back at the Earth Fortress and he's continuing to be attacked. And we see the Earth shake from the attacks, right? Because these are powerful Earthbenders. 
so then we we cut to Katara, who's in her room um, with Momo, uh, and she can feel the the earth shaking. And she says, "I wonder what crazy thing they're trying now. Maybe we should just make sure Aang is okay." Like, so there's this sense of it's killing her to not be there, right? Even though her not being there is her trying to make a point. Yeah, and if we're mirroring these two different sets of people Iroh has the same kind of intuition as well exactly exactly so then back out uh, outside we see Katara meet up with Sokka and Sokka says the general's gone crazy he's trying to force Aang into the avatar state um so then we see them join in the fight and Katara you know um Katara does like the water whip from the little pouch she has and takes out one of the mounted soldiers Mm -hmm. and then we see um we see uh Sokka go up to the creature that he is mounted on i will say and i was so excited because what Sokka says is like good boar uh, bird horse thingy and i'm like oh good Sokka doesn't know what they yeah, are yeah that's either. exactly what i would have called it too yeah and i'm like great i'm i'm glad that i'm not the dummy who's like i i can't tell what this is um so and then he approaches and actually mounts one of the ostrich horses uh and we see that katara is trapped between the earthbenders and fung says to ang maybe you can avoid me but she can't so Katara, Katara tries to bend water at him, but he just pulls up the earth and catches it and turns it into mud. It was a sweet move. It was, yeah. And then he starts to bend the earth beneath her and like pulls her down into it. Like it's quicksand. Like, exactly. It's like he can change the earth into uh, into something like quicksand. Sand. And Aang tries to come to her aid. And at this point, Fung realizes that it's through her fr- through his friends that he can get to Aang. Mm, through his family, really. Yeah. 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 And Fung says, you couldn't, uh, you could save her if you were in the avatar state. So he's like really pushing Aang. And Katara keeps getting pulled under the earth further. And Aang says, you don't need to do this. And Fung says, apparently I do. And we see Katara pulled, uh, pulled all the way under the earth. And this, to sort of call back to Empire Strikes Back, like this really is a version of there's this moment where Vader realizes that he can use Han and Leia to draw out to draw mm-hmm. out Luke. This is why Luke leaves his training in Dagobah to go face Vader. And I mean, think about it, we have Katara pulled under, right? Kind of taken out, encased in rock, mm-hmm. like Han Solo encased in carbonite, right? Like it really, like there there is sort of this this clear sense, and that is how he's gonna he's gonna draw out um, draw out the thing he wants from Aang. So pulling Katara under the earth finally pushes Aang into the Avatar state. Uh, and at first we see Fung sort of celebrating. He's like, it worked until he realizes what he helped create, right? Because right. he's starting to realize, I can't control the power that I've just unleashed. And Aang can't control it either. Right, right. Uh, and then we see Aang bend and slash at, at him. And then he rises up on this big swirling pillar of earth, which would this be the first time we've seen Aang earthbend? Oh, yeah. yeah. I didn't even notice that. Because he does the pillar of water in episode two, you know, so where we see him water bending before he knows anything about oh, it. Oh, sure. So but, he can have control of the elements when he's in the avatar state. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So this is the first time we see him do that. This is the last element that we have never seen him do. Um, so then we cut back to Zuko. So now we're just cutting back between battles to Zuko fighting on Azula's ship. Um, and he prepared... Com- prepares to confront her with what I can only call like fire daggers. It's like he just in his hands creates these like 
fire blades, yeah. right? And he's going to uh, he's gonna attack her. Uh, and then we see Iroh take out four fire soldiers, and he's calling out to Zuko, like, let's go, let's go, let's get out of here, yeah. right? But um, but Zuko is going to face his, uh, his adversary here. So Zuko is fighting Azula. Again, mostly martial arts, not firebending, except for Zuko's fire daggers. Um, Azula says, you know, father blames uncle for the loss of the North Pole. And he considers you a miserable failure for not finding the Avatar. Why would he want you back home except to lock you up where you can no longer embarrass him? Right. So she's just just uncovering the lie of, you know, that that, that she threw out there. Mm -hmm. So they continue to fight. And we see Azula has a counter for everything that Zuko is trying. She finally manages to grab his wrist and she lightning bends at him. And he like falls back and falls away off this ramp that they're fighting on. And then we see her kind of start to build up this, uh, like, bolt of lightning she's going to She's, cast. like, charging. <laughs> right. No, it's exactly, it's exactly right, right? Uh, and as she's firing it at Zuko, Iroh steps in, grabs her arm, and redirects the lightning uh, sort of like we saw him do before, right? Right. So, so we, know, we know that he is familiar with this power, right? And he seems nonplussed by it. Like right. he, he, he knows how to disable it. And he knows what she's capable of, mm-hmm. right? Like he was not surprised to be like, whoa, I didn't know you could do that. It's, you know, like he seems to, to sort of be aware of that. Um, so he redirects the lightning and he throws her off the ship. So she falls into the ocean and we see Iroh and Zuko running off to make their escape. Mm-hmm. So back at the fortress, we have Avatar Aang still towering over Fung uh, and the earthbenders on this pillar of earth. Uh, Fung calls out to Aang and shows, her that, shows him that Katara is safe. He said it was just a trick to trigger the Avatar state, and it worked. And we see Aang slam down to the ground and earthbend the foundations of the fortress, right? So we're seeing just the power that he has. Everything's like, being destroyed. Exactly, right? I mean, the, the literally the ground and the buildings are all, like, cracked. Mm-hmm. Um, Crumbling. From, from what he's doing. So at this point, we see Aang's spirit fly up out of his body and onto the back of Roku's dragon. I was like, all right, this yes. is happening. We're getting some explanation here. So <laughs> um, so Roku and Aang are flying on the dragon. And Roku says, it's time that you learned. So they fly up into the, crowd, into the clouds. And we see that the sky is full of these tiny dark figures in the distance. Like they, they're vertical figures, but they're dark. And you can't quite tell what they are. Um, although we're going to see in a moment what they are. Um, Roku says the avatar state is a defense mechanism designed to empower you with the skills and knowledge of all the past avatars. So as he's talking about this, we're seeing images of past versions of Aang. So we see Kyoshi um, uh, bending earth. Uh, He says the glow is the combination of all your past lives. And we see this water tribe avatar literally bending the ocean. Like Mm -hmm. it's stunning and that makes sense i guess for the glow because the glow is like the spirit right so the afterlife so exactly okay exactly uh he says uh that it's focuses that they focus their energy through his body and then we see this airbending avatar like conducting the winds on this huge plane and forest says the avatar state in the avatar state you're at your most powerful and we see an avatar a firebending avatar literally bending volcanoes like it's <laughs> i just love like the the power that we see and it's like these are things that we haven't seen ang do but like he will become capable of and he already is capable of in this state because he is these people you know i always have to remind myself that ang is these other people mm-hmm. um he says so you're at your most powerful but you're also at your most vulnerable 
If you are killed in the Avatar state, the reincarnation cycle will be broken. And we see that all these dark figures that were in the distance, in the clouds, were the past avatars. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like like a cloud of witnesses, right? So there's this sense that, that all the past avatars are looking down on him or, or watching him. So he says, if you're killed in the avatar state, the reincarnation cycle is broken and the avatar will cease to exist. So although this seems like – it's interesting because Zhao talked about like we can't kill the Avatar because he'll just be reincarnated. But now we've been introduced to the vulnerability that actually the Avatar can be killed and that cycle can be broken. And the imbalance that comes without the Avatar can be permanent. And is that knowledge only Avatars know? Too? Well, like I wonder if he'll tell – We just learned it. I don't – yeah, I don't <laughs> know. I got – I, I – I, I don't know if there if if this is all written somewhere as right. well. Like, are we going to find some place where, in the same way that um, Zhao learned about the ocean spirit and the moon spirit, like, is this all written somewhere and someone will come across this information? But we're now privy to it, and Ang's now privy to it. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so then we see that the spirit dragon flies back to Ang in his avatar state body, and regular regular Ang comes back. Right. Right. And he, he, we see him looking at the destruction he created. Uh, and Katara runs to him and Aang says, I'm sorry, Katara. I hope you never have to see me like that again. And Funga walks up and says, are you joking? It was almost perfect. We've seen almost perfect before, right, in this episode. Mm. Right? It was almost perfect. We just have to find a way to control you when you're like that. And Aang says, are you out of your mind? Fang says, well, I guess we'll have to figure it out on the way to the Fire Nation. And at this point, we see Sokka ride up behind him and hit him over the head with a bone and knock him out. And Sokka's like, anyone have a problem with this? And everyone's right. like, no, we're good. <laughs> right. So then the Earthbending soldiers say, well, do you still want an escort to Omashu? And Katara says, I, I think we're set. And they all fly off on Appa, which feels like it should be the end of the episode, right? right. But... This is not where the episode ends. This is one of those rare episodes that doesn't end with our gang, mm-hmm. but ends with Zuko. So we get to the final scene, um, and we see, or the final two scenes. We see the we're back at the uh, Iroh's spa. I don't know. Again, I don't <laughs> yes. know what to call this, right? And we see Azula there with her troops standing in front of all the people who live at that in that village, um, and she's showing them a wanted poster for Zuko and Iroh. And we've seen wanted posters before. He says, anyone, she says, anyone who harbors these traitors will face the wrath of the Fire Lord. There will be no place left to hide. And we see some of the people like shocked by that mm-hmm. because they know who it is too. And they know that these are the people that they've been serving these, these last uh, few days. So we get to the final scene. We see Zuko and Iroh running through the forest to, until they reach a point where Iroh says, I think we're safe here. And they're sort of sitting down by this stream. Uh, and at this point, Zuko takes out a knife and kind of stares at it. It has writing on it. And he grabs the sort of – he has like a like a bald head except for the sort of back top patch of hair is very long and he has like a ponytail. Right. There, right? So he grabs the ponytail and he cuts off the ponytail. Throws it in the water. Throws in the, in the water. And he hands the knife to Iroh. It doesn't say anything. And Iroh does the same thing with the the bun on top of his head. And they drop them into the water, and then the the water sort of washes them away. And that's all. That's all we get. That's the end of the episode. They don't say a word. Right. Okay. A couple things with this. I know that you did some research too. I looked up what the inscription on the knife means because I was so curious, and it looks like perhaps a form of Chinese writing. Uh-huh. Turns out, according to Avatar Wiki, 
Um, one side of the knife says never give up without a fight, which is Zuko's mantra. And the other side says made in the Earth Kingdom. And that's supposed to be like a joke on like made in China. Oh, because it's like a, it's a Fire Nation sword, but it's like made elsewhere. It's like imported oh, in, you know, <laughs> that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Oh, super interesting. Well, I was curious about the significance yeah. of the haircuts and the cutting of hair. What did you find? Um, so in in samurai culture, um, mm-hmm. now this is a lot of very quick Googling, <laughs> so I could be wrong here. Uh, but in samurai culture, that the, the top bun um, was meant in part to hold the helmet in place. Mm. Um, that was the origins of that. But then it also became a status symbol. Sure. That that you were a samurai. Oh, you weren't samurai a peasant. Samurai class. Yep. Yeah, you, you weren't a peasant. Um, but then there are also issues where there are laws that say, you know, the samurai can't do field work and farm work. So there is all, also this sense of like, if a samurai doesn't have work as a samurai, if they're not employed as a samurai, if they don't have fighting to do or things to do in that sort of feudal class, um, that they could starve. Mm. Um, and actually, this is I, this uh, two weeks ago. I rewatched uh, Akira Kurosawa's uh, The Seven Samurai. Okay, and uh, which is great. <laughs> and uh, part of that is they the, the the village is looking for hungry samurai, samurai who will work for food because they can't, you know, they can't farm themselves. So the this the sim symbology of cutting the hair is meaning I am rejecting my current class status mm. and I am choosing to become it would be usually you'd become either a monk or a peasant but right? a, more like a commoner exactly right to say like like I am no longer of this noble class which is interesting because I mean so to me this points to them really literally cutting ties with their royal lineage to say like okay I am now rejecting my status as part of the royal family of the fire nation yeah and i am i am accepting life as something lesser something lower Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of class in this whole episode we hear zuko say home all of the time home in in a dreamlike way Mm -hmm. right thinking about going back and now it's him literally physically rejecting his homeland exactly for who knows how long like maybe forever right so i think about this the scene at the very beginning when he's like i want it all back i want all the things that i want the avatar i want my honor i want my kingdom and i said well that sounds a lot like season one zuko and i was wondering well is that really what this is going to be and i feel like this episode ends with him with a new mission statement for him, sort of like, no, like, I don't know that he wants any of that stuff anymore. I don't yeah. know. I mean, because we don't, like, I'm so excited to see the next thing in his plan, but but he is definitely rejecting at least the idea that this is all stuff that should be mine just by virtue of who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of this way of following Iroh, going back to the mirroring to say, if you're if, if you're going to win back your kingdom, you're not going to do it the easy way, right? You, that, that, that in order to win it back, you need to reject it. Mm-hmm. You need you need to reject those though that route. Um, yeah, so I loved it. It's such a good ending. I know. And I'm, I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm so excited to see uh, to see where this goes. Uh, so, is it bad that I just want like five episodes purely of Zuko and Iroh? like no, in a row? No, that's I, all I want. Yeah, I, like I actually <laughs> this episode, I so much was more interested in that, especially once we got to the like training part or the like trying to get the avatar state out. It's like, okay, 
Okay, like I that's fine. I don't know. I don't need a lot more of that, but I love the Zuko Iroh mm-hmm. stuff. Um so as you look thinking about themes and observations uh from this episode of as we're kind of wrapping up the thinking about it that way. Uh we've seen him be weaponized or attempt to be weaponized, Aang, and that's something that we uh, kind of assumed would happen at some point. So maybe will happen again. Absolutely. And I think another big theme which I presume is going to run throughout this season is that Aang brings destruction in his wake when he uses his power, but we learn that Aang's inaction also leads to right. death, right? So so, so, this, so he's got – he already feels like he has blood on his hands for his past, and yep. now it just, he's just, it's just been pointed out to him that there are no – there is no right choice. There, there is no choice that's going to lead to um, a world without death. You know, um, and and maybe that's part of understanding balance to say, like, well, if we think about the the light and the dark, we think about life and death and those things need to be in balance, too. We can't we can't reject that out of hand. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you're always looking for mission statements. I think one of the mission statements came from Katara when she's talking to Fung, kind of the first conversation. She says, Aang's going to do it his way. I think that's also an important theme we see because... She doesn't say, like, Aang's going to do it like the other avatars have. Or Aang's going to do it like the masters say. It's Aang, is, it's his way. And I don't know what that's going to look like, like evade and avoid. I don't, you know, mm-hmm. trying to preserve life or whatever. Um, but I think that's key. It is interesting. Yeah, because it is sort of saying maybe there is another way. Mm. Maybe there is another way. And we've and always it, it thought maybe way. there is, right? Like, right. there's always been a question. Right. Yeah. Because this... Uh, I don't think this story would be the story if it's just a, and now we have a continuation of what has happened for centuries. Right. But but this is about sort of breaking some of those traditions as well. We see this in Katara and Sokka and all the people that we're encountering in that way. Um, another big theme that we see is uh, Katara and Sokka are the key to getting to Aang, to controlling Aang. Yeah. You know, like... Um, as as much as Fung fails, he actually discovers something which I'm certain we'll see come back, right? Mm-hmm. That if you endanger them, you get his attention. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, and in, in light of that, we've also learned that Aang has all of these allies. But I'm not sure we can always trust his allies. I mean, Fung is, seems very powerful, but... He has his own designs, right? Right, and they got the warmest welcome right. from him. And Aang is tempting to people like that to say, what if What if we could do this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of Zuko and Iroh, uh, that they've, as we talked about, they've chosen a different path, right? So they really are literally now men without a country. Mm-hmm. You know, that they are walking away from, I presume, their Fire Nation identity, you know. And all uh, of the resources that come with mm-hmm. that. We, and and what's interesting is they're not the first people we've seen who've chosen this path. Zhang Zhang, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting. So now I'm like, and they're kind of near where he is. It's like, well, that would be interesting. Oh, I want them to meet up. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like there are other, and, and, and I'm sure he's not the only person, right? There are other people who have done this. So, so that will be interesting to see, like, can you create an island of misfit toys nation of people who are like... I reject these identities, you know, so that'll be fascinating. The other big takeaway, which I'm just excited for, is we got confirmation that we're getting Boomy back. I know. I want him now. Yeah, and I I, I don't know how long it's going to take. I'm going to throw out a prediction because I don't know. I am going to say by episode five, we're going to be meeting Boomy. 
Yeah. That's and my hope. by five minutes into meeting him, his shirt will be off. Yeah. Abs. Yeah. yeah pecs yeah. and all. Yeah. So so that's uh that's that that's my guess there. I have no idea where we're headed next because this episode has such a great set of endings. We see Aang and, and, and everybody flying off on Appa knowing they're headed to Amashu, but I think they're far away. Uh, and we know that that um uh, we know that Appa can't just get somewhere in an instant like that, but then, but there this this show has taken travel seriously, so I think that will take a few episodes, um, at least. And then Iroh and Zuko, like it's such a great ending, and I just can't. The worst thing would be is if episode two of this season is a Zuko-less episode. I I would pull my hair out. Oh yeah, I and, wonder. And they they do that sometimes. They and they often do that when you have a great Zuko yes. episode. They're like, yeah, we're gonna pull him away for a whole episode now. And yet, if it was a Angless episode, I love Ang, but if he wasn't in it, I'd be like, all right, I'm good with just a Zuko yeah. episode. I, I, I'm so curious if by the time they get to season three, if they feel like they have the the ability to pull that off. Yeah, because uh, that seems crazy to me. But that would be amazing. Yeah, that would seriously. Be really great. Yeah, yeah. Well, Annie, uh, should we get to our guest? Yes, we should. All right. So uh, we are going to uh, now jump over to our interview with our first uh, fan of Avatar The Last Airbender. Uh, we're going to talk to Soren. We are joined today by Soren, who is a seventh grader, uh, 13 years old, and a fan of Avatar The Last Airbender. Uh, Soren, welcome to the show. Hi. Um, I am curious how you came to discover Avatar The Last Airbender. Was this something somebody recommended to you? Was it something you found yourself? Actually, I was at my best friend's house, and his dad was like, do you want to watch a show? And my sister was like, fine. Me and my best friend were like, we don't care. We're just going to play video games. And then me and Gwen kind of got sucked into it. Oh, okay. So it was actually an adult who was like, hey, you should watch this. Yeah, because they've watched it all on CD. Oh, okay. Okay. Nice. Um. So, yeah. So is is this something that you watched like... um slowly over time or is it something you you sort of devoured quickly well we kind of had to watch it slowly over time because we had a week at a time to watch it with my dad okay okay but when uh, we did we did wa- binge watch a whole season once oh wow <laughs> what was that like <laughs> that seems intense it was something else yeah, yeah. So you say that 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 you kind of reluctantly started watching, but then it sort of drew you in. What drew you in about the show? Just seemed interesting. Okay. okay. Like a glowy dude that blew up a ship. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um so do you did you do you have a uh, favorite characters? Any like characters that you were sort of drawn to? Sokka is funny. Okay. Okay. Now, this is a weirder question. Do you have a like a, a, a character that you relate to? Which which can be different than your favorite character. Like I have characters that I like, and then there's like, oh, this if I was in this world, I would be kind of most like this person. My sister says I'd be like May. Oh, okay. Which is kind of depressing. <laughs> <laughs> have we met May yet? I don't think we have. Okay, oh, so okay. so yeah, so I'm I, I'm only through season I'm only through season two episode one. So there 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 might be some things that I'm not aware of yet. So I'll be looking well, for May to think about that. I know May from watching before, and that is a good character. <laughs> That's not a bad one to be similar to. 
So if you if you had to be part of one of the sort of tribes, nations, kingdoms, uh, is there one that you would most want to be part of? If you could have the powers of one of the uh, one of the kingdoms, tribes, nations, which would you want to have? I think I'd have the power of the terrible acting at Ember Island. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do we know Ember Island either, Sam? I don't think so. I mean, that, I'm, I'm guessing that's Fire Nation-y stuff. The only Fire Nation place we visited was the the, the Crescent Island where the where Roku's temple is. Yeah. Um, so that's all that that's all that I've seen. Uh, that's actually, I think that might be Ember Island. Okay, that would make sense. Yeah, that would make sense. So would you would you want to be Fire Nation in terms of the the powers of a firebender or no? So what what, what type of what type of bender would would you most want to be? I don't know. I think it would be cool to be an earth bender because then I could metal bend. Oh, sure. Sure. I actually, you know, the thing I like about the earth benders is they seem like their powers are really practical. Like there's really like your life would be easier if you could do that. You know, like, like the others seem powerful, but I'm not quite sure what I would do with it. How about you, Annie? Do you? Um, I think I would want to be air. I think airbending is sweet and we only meet one airbender, right? Or we only have so far. So it'd be, right. it'd be cool to like explore that world more. Um, but in terms of like, I think earth is really interesting too. It is practical and it seems like most people in the avatar universe are from the earth kingdom. Like it seems like the biggest kingdom with the most population. So maybe there's like all these different avenues that you can use earthbending in everyday life. Yeah, yeah, and 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 we're we're earthbound people, so like your 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 element is always there. Like if you're a waterbender, I guess there's water everywhere, but you know, in the desert, being a waterbender would be a little bit trickier. Uh, you know, in in a in a situation like that. How about not in terms of the power, but in terms of the culture? So like we see, um, you know, we 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 see water the the waterbending culture. We've seen earthbending culture. We've seen a little bit of the Fire Nation. We see in flashbacks a little bit of the of the uh, airbending culture. Is there a culture that you would most want to live in? Definitely not earth um, airbending. Sorry. Oh, why do you say that? Because it sounds boring to just sit there and like. <laughs> okay, so you, you're not you're not destined to be a meditating monk. Mm-mm. <laughs> All right. So where would you want to live? Doesn't sound fun to live in the North Pole or the South Pole. But you do live in Minnesota, so you're you're you, you get a little bit of that. Yeah. And you know what? They don't seem cold. It doesn't seem like it would like it's it seems like it wouldn't be like it would be uncomfortable, but they never seem they never seem to be cold. So That's I will true. say the Go festival ahead. that we saw at the Fire Kingdom. That seems pretty cool. Like I, I don't, I sound. It sounds weird saying, "Oh, I'd love to be part of the Fire Nation," but like culturally, that festival seemed pretty exciting. Seems pretty fun. All we've seen so far of Earth Earthbenders is, um, is a lot of like I, I feel like it's a lot of work. Like they're they're sort of laborers, and you know, so I mean, you know, and maybe maybe that culture will get fleshed out more in season two. It's actually a lot harder because of that big city, whatever it's called. Oh, oh Bossing Say. Yeah, yeah. we haven't gotten there yet. Well, bossing say you realize there's some people that work really hard. There's some people that just sit there. Then oh, there's sure. a group of people who can't do earth bending and just are like, now we're sitting here poor. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah, that's the place I'm. I think I'm most excited because I can tell this. I assume this season will will get there, but that's one of the places that I'm most excited to see. 
if you if 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 somebody told you that they really liked Avatar: The Last Airbender, what other things would you recommend to them to say like if if I like that kind of story, I like that kind of show. Are there other books or movies or or things like that that you uh, that you would recommend? I'd recommend the comics because there are a lot more stories about the comics. Oh, really? I didn't even know that existed. I would not recommend the movie at all. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, part of the Avatar series it, is it being animated. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, it all it does is show them, like, live people. Like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. I actually have not seen the movie, but I think we're going to... Um, for for fun, we're gonna watch for Christmas for our Christmas episode the movie. <laughs> but we're gonna watch it because we know it's bad. We're gonna watch it and and uh, sort of revel in its badness because I've I've heard only terrible things about it. And actually, even watching the trailer, it just feels offensive to the stuff that I love about the show, like the the sort of joy of the show, the light of the show seems like it's all stripped out. So I will watch it, but I but not because I think I'm going to enjoy it. Uh, for for exactly. Um, really, the other reason. Another thing I'm curious about, and and you might know about this more than I do, um, is are there Avatar video games? Are there good Avatar video games? I don't know. There should be though, right? This seems like a world that would be really, uh, really fun, especially for kind of an open world video game, doesn't it? I'm kind of wondering, like, it could be like the Zelda vi- like games, like Breath of the Wild and stuff. Totally. But like, what extra storyline or whatever would they put in for you to play? Sure, sure. Well, you could also you could be in this world even if you weren't in um, the Aang storyline. I mean, there's obviously hundreds of years of other avatars, or you could push it forward as well. Um, but I, I this it just seems like a fun world to encounter um, different kinds of benders and things like that. I think that would lend itself to a uh, to an open world video game. I think it would be interesting, but if you go forward, I think the Korra would be more interesting. Oh, okay. I'd- we're in the middle of watching it and we've gone through two seasons and all i can say is it's interesting not what you'd expect from an avatar kind of thing but they have found a way to like add the older stuff in oh interesting yeah i'm excited to to eventually get to uh get to that uh i'm working my way really slowly just one or two episodes a week so i'm i'm a ways away from that but um uh, but i'm curious to see uh, to sort of see where where this f- first story goes, but then where they pick up. Because I find that one of the things that I really like about the show is I feel like they they build a pretty rich world um, that that throughout the episodes you get to really explore a lot of places. So, do you have a favorite place that they that they visit? I've got to say Lake Laogai. Okay, I, that's not a place we've been yet, but I'm excited to to get there. What do you, you like love- about that place? Without spoiling anything, what do you like about that place? Oh boy, this is going to be hard. I think a lot of things get revealed there. Like, I think you find out there might be another side to this person, or now I get what this is used for. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, that's that's. I'm excited. Is that somewhere that we're going to encounter in season two, or is that a season three? I don't remember, but I know it's like, if they're on their journey way toward bossing side then you're definitely gonna see like wow guy soon 
Okay. Well, I will be, uh, I'll be looking out for that. Soren, thank you so much for joining us. This was really fun. Um, we're going to be interviewing people throughout the, throughout this season. I, I just love to, to talk to people now that I'm deep enough into this show that I feel like I understand the world. I'm excited to talk to people who have been on this journey, people who have been out ahead of me in terms of knowing where we're going to know that, that I'm in safe hands, that uh, season two and season three are going to be worth the journey. I think that's, that sounds like that's the case. Mm-hmm. But just know the episodes are about to get longer. All right. Well, I'm all for that. I, I, I definitely don't want uh, less of this. I want more. Thank you so much, Soren. All right, Annie, that is all the time that we have. This was this was really great. I loved this episode. I love talking to Soren. And again, if you want to be on the show, please send us an email at channel3900 at gmail.com. Um, we would love to uh, we would love to have you on the show if you're on this journey with us. Um, we won't have we probably won't have an interview every episode, but we're going to try to get as many as we can uh, into season two uh, and going forward. In the meantime, check out the website. Yes, the website, we have links to all these episodes if you need to catch up on episodes. Uh, if you want to leave comments, uh, that is the, a great place to interact. You can also follow Annie uh, at Annie underscore Brooklyn to <laughs> Twitter.com, or you can follow at Channel 3900 at, uh, or just at Channel 3900 um, on, on, on Twitter. That's another way you can interact with us. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the show. We'd love to interact with you. We'd love to have you on the show. That is all the time we have for this week. We will catch you next week with book two, episode two. The Cave of Two Lovers. Two Lovers.